Hello and welcome to the In The Money Players Podcast. This is our show for Monday, September 12th. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital, back with you in the Brooklyn Bunker once again in between trips down to Nashville for Kentucky Downs and getting ready to head out to Toronto for the Woodbine Mile. We've got a four-part show for you today, something for everyone. We're going to be looking back at Breeders' Cup winning your inaction from Kentucky Downs and from Ireland. We're going to talk about what went on at Del Mar over the weekend, including an early look at the horse that would be the Kentucky Derby favorite if such future books existed. They don't quite yet, I don't think. Not that I've seen anywhere in the world. We're going to talk about Breeders' Cup plans, a way to get a hotel room, a really nice hotel room that also supports charity. That's going to be fun. And we're going to take our first look ahead to the Woodbine Mile and also hear about uh, that time Jim Lawson got to sit down and have an audience with Queen Elizabeth II as we pay her respects to her. It's all going to start right after this. Today's show brought to you in part by our friends at Woodbine. Huge Saturday of racing coming up up there. Going to be a lot of great wagering opportunities. We're going to be covering it soup to nuts on here starting in the very next segment and continuing on through the week where it will be featured on Horse Player Happy Hour. Drew Coatney and I will be here with analysis of the Saturday card, and I'll be doing a bunch of programming live from Woodbine, including Horse Player Happy Hour itself, and I think my Sunday shift from Sky Sports Racing will happen at Woodbine as well. You can also subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and hey, why not over at YouTube as well? Keep it locked in themoneypodcast.com. First up on the show, very happy to bring back a returning guest when there's big stuff happening at Woodbine, whether it's the start of their meet or Queen's Plate Week or this upcoming Woodbine Mile Week. We love to bring him in to set the stage for us. And of course, this week, uh, some extra stuff to talk about given the news of the world. He is the CEO of Woodbine Entertainment, Jim Lawson. Jim, how are things? Things are good. I'm, I'm really excited about the horse racing at Woodbine this week. So couldn't be better in that respect. Something a little bit different this year with the stakes schedule, more of a super Saturday than the spread out over the weekend. I think this is something that a lot of North American players very used to. But I'm curious what went into the decision to change up the stakes calendar a little bit up north. Well, I think we've we've followed suit with some of the other racetracks, quite frankly, is, is just tried to package everything in a big day and, and attract the, the wagering world uh, at Woodbine uh, next Saturday. So we've moved the uh, grade one uh, summer stakes in Natalma, which you're, you're correct, normally ran the next day. And we're we're doing we're doing it all <laughs> on on Saturday. So it, it should be just an action packed day of racing and, and just hot field so it'll be a, a fun day for for racing fans and the and the wagering crowd definitely going to be some key breeders cup clues on offer when you look at the history of both the woodbine mile and the natalma in the summer producing runners year after year and horses that often run quite well from a wagering point of view is there anything in particular you're looking forward to well i mean uh, i from the from my perspective, I am always interested to see how we can do from a handle perspective overall on the day. I mean, I, I would hope for for Woodbine numbers and everything is relative to to different racetracks uh, in North America. But I'm hoping we're in that twelve to fourteen million dollar range on Saturday, which would be a nice number for us. We're we're going to have uh, 
an early pick four, an early pick five with a hundred thousand guarantee, then uh, a late pick five starting in race seven, likely depending on how many races is the guaranteed two hundred and fifty k, and then a, a late, uh, also a late pick four uh, starting in race nine, presumably with a guarantee of two hundred and fifty k. So we're setting up a nice a nice wagering day with those. Uh, late and early pick fours um, with, with guarantees. So it, it, it should be a good day for wagering. All of these races in past years have attracted foreign participation. We're talking on Monday before the draw. We don't know exactly who's going to turn up, but are you expecting that there might be an international contingent on hand this weekend? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in particular, it doesn't get much better than Modern Games, who, of course, won the Juvenile Turf last year. He, he finished second in his in his uh, uh, last start to Baid, uh, only beaten a length and three quarters. Uh, he, he's a he's a superstar, and I would think would would go on to the Breeders' Cup uh, and be one of the favorites, presuming he does well here, which I expect him to run well. He was he went over the turf course this morning. He he arrived. Uh, on on private plane on the weekend and uh, along with uh, a stable mate mysterious night that's going to run in the summer stakes and and also uh simon christford's horse uh finest sound who's also going to run in the mile so there those, those are the three there's a there's a group of uh american horses that will be will be headed north uh, for the mile in particular we're still waiting to see who's coming up for the summer and then in Talma, there are lots of them pondering it. And I think that they, there may be more coming now. I think there was a, a top filly coming from Europe and now she's not coming. So, uh, uh, that, that may open, open the floodgates a little bit on the, on the, on the Natalma and, and, and hopefully the summer will be strong too. It's certainly, I know the Godolphin people and, and Charles Appleby are very keen on uh, mysterious night. He's a, he's a dark angel. Colt that uh, just won a Group Three in, at, at Doville, and and they're really keen on him. Sounds like it should be well represented with overseas participation, and certainly that's great news. I wasn't sure it was confirmed, but obviously with him now being here, that's great to hear about modern games. That's a top international form line with uh, yeah being within two lengths to Baid. Certainly one to get very very excited about seeing in the Woodbine Mile. And we'll see who uh, who turns up from the local contingent and what these uh, what these fields look like. But it's always good to have that international star power, something that you not ha- you have not uh, suffered for over the years on the, this big weekend of racing. No, we we've, we've always done uh, very well. The uh, interesting, I was looking at the entries this morning, and it kind of jumps off the page at you. There there are twelve likelies for the mile, and four of them are Irish breads, and two of them are Brazilian breads, and uh, the Brazilian breads will be tough. Uh, one is the Filo de Ariana that that Mark Cassie trained, who's undefeated uh, at, at Woodbine and looks like a special horse. And then Ivar, that Joe Talmo has, uh, also a Brazilian bred. So it is a it's going to be a loaded field, but they're going to have to beat modern games for sure. We're going to have a ton of coverage on the In The Money Media Network and specifically over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com, including analyses of the, these foreign invaders, along with ideas from Stephen Bonnick 
about what type of figures they might be running. It's kind of an interesting way for folks to try to compare apples to apples in terms of some of these foreign runners, which will help you in all the, the late pick bets and vertical bets and everything we're going to be wagering on at Woodbine come this Saturday. Um, I do want to ask you, Jim, while you're here, a question that you, you may be tiring of at this point, but uh, I, I think it's an interesting topic for um, North American racing fans who who might not have been getting the, the wall-to-wall coverage of the passing of Her Majesty that they've gotten overseas. I was on TV all weekend in England and requested to and, and obliged wearing the full black tie and tribute. It wasn't the normal programming, definitely a more somber tone. I, I think sometimes it's hard for us in North America to understand just how big of a deal, for lack of a better word, Queen Elizabeth was um, in in England and, uh, and and other parts of the world. How, Canada obviously sort of sits a little bit in the middle, um, it, literally and figuratively, when it comes to uh, when it comes to Her Majesty. What's the mood been like uh, up up there since her passing? Well, I, I think she was she was. So I know she was so well loved. I mean, universally in, in Canada, I think there are questions throughout the world, uh, Peter, about the, the role of the monarchy in, in the in the in the Commonwealth jurisdictions, uh, and that's that's a topic for for maybe another day. But I, I do think in Canada, um, I think people set apart that sentiment about the. The role of the, the monarchy and the Commonwealth set it apart from a discussion about Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth. I mean, she was she was loved in Canada, loved throughout the world, and and uh, and largely because she was she was such a, a kind and, and gentle person that uh, that people really loved and respected. And in in our case, and when I say our case, I mean the horse racing world. We we too appreciated it, loved her support, loved her passion for the game, and she re- make no mistake, she was a real student of horse racing. Just just no question about that. The number one fan, as well as an incredible patron, and it strikes me you never see her happier than when you see those clips, whether it's her at the Kentucky Derby in 2007 or her appearances at, at Woodbine over the years. Certainly the, the most memorable clip for me is watching her root home estimate in that 2013 Gold Cup at Ascot. I mean, she was she was not there for ceremony. She was a real racing fan, and I, and I think that makes me feel uh, much more connected to her than, you know, um, any other uh, oh. person who'd be in that position. Absolutely. I, I, Peter, I had a short audience, what was expected to be a short audience with her in, in July of, of 2010 uh, as a board member of Woodbine and just to, uh, to, to greet her and, and meet her and, and host her for the day, um, the Woodbine board. And when I spoke to her, she wanted to talk about breeding. My family had a horse in the race that day, and she wanted to talk all about breeding. It was fascinating for me. It was, it was, let's forget the pleasantries. Let's forget the protocols. I want to talk about North American breeding and the role of Northern Dancer in Canada. And let's talk about handicapping the race and how is your horse going to do and how is the race going to be run? It was, it was, it was just a, a 
fascinating conversation and one that felt extremely natural at the time. I, I was asked this week, I think on CBC radio, were you pinching yourself? I said, no, I didn't even think about it. It was such a natural conversation about horse racing. I, I said, after the fact, I went, wow, that was really something. She just went on and on about North American breeding for a good 10 minutes. That's great. And I'm so happy to hear. It doesn't surprise me. We know about her connections to Kentucky and the and the Farishes. And that's one of the special things about racing that we talk about all the time. We can, when you're a racing person, whether you're coming at it for the breeding side, the betting side, a little bit of both, um, it's very easy to make those kind of connections and just and fall very easily into the the kind of conversations that we horse people have, whether it's who do you like in this race or, oh, how about this sire's baby or what about this female family and you know you and i have gone down rabbit holes and conversations like that i can't imagine how fun it must have been to do that uh with her majesty that's great stuff yeah what i can say peter she would have been very comfortable on your show going down a rabbit hole (laughs) can you imagine I'll, I'll now ask you the, the impossible question, but I feel duty bound as a as a host to ask about the future of the the Queen's Plate, a race that's traditionally been named after the the, the reigning monarch, I, you know, King's Plate or, or Queen's Plate. In this case, though, it, it feels like it might be a little bit more complicated given everything that she's meant to the game over the years. I, do you have any? I know you haven't. There's no decision been made on this. Do you have any kind of time frame? for for making the decision about uh, what this race will be called in the future. Yeah, I, I, two things. Yes, uh, I, I want to comment. <laughs> her Majesty has made this more complicated because of number one, her love of the game and her passion, and 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 clearly, there's a feeling we need to recognize that. Whether that means maintaining the name or not, um, we're we're not at, in a position to say. I certainly, it's a bigger decision than me, Peter, at at, at this point. And secondly, it's been 70 years of the Queen's Plate. So um, while it did become the the King's Plate, I think between 1901 and 1952, uh, uh, it's something we haven't had to deal with. And uh, so it's a a big decision. Certainly we're we're not uh, thinking about making it uh, now during this morning period. and I'm hoping it'll be in the next two to three weeks. And, and I say two to three weeks uh, in large part because when we do announce what we're doing, um, I'd, I'd like to be able to say at the same, same time, uh, come up with a date for the race because I get that asked almost as often as whether we're changing the name. So we have to land on a date for next year's uh, uh, plate race. <laughs> Pros and cons, I would imagine, to later in the year. I would assume horsemen might enjoy having a little bit more time to get their horses ready to run a mile and a quarter. At the same time, some of the chaos of running it a little bit earlier in the year might lead to more entries, more people with with, with dreams. I mean, obviously, you haven't uh, made a final decision yet, but it must be a complex issue to to address given the the number of uh, considerations that go into when the race should be and and su- the success you've had running it at multiple times during the year yeah it it, it is it, it there are a number of considerations and it it certainly we want to let our horse people know early uh, so if if they were to run uh, or are scheduled to run in june 
um, the, the best route for that is, is to be winter trained or winter raced. And so that's why we need to make the decision early. Having said that, I mean, one of the complexities is we like to try and cooperate with the other racetracks or look and see what the other racetracks are doing from a competitive standpoint, a wagering standpoint. And, uh, you know, many of them uh, have not decided exactly when they're going to run their their meets, the exact dates or the big or the big stakes events. So there's lots of lots of considerations that go into it. Uh, I I do know and the the major consideration is is what you touched upon at the outset there, which was was horse welfare and giving the horses more time to get ready to go a mile and a quarter. And, and it's a little more complicated in in Ontario, uh, only because many of our our candidates or leading candidates would be Ontario horses that do not go south for the winter and uh, and plan on starting back up here in March to, to get ready. And, and uh, so there's, there's certainly, uh, I think, from our horse people, an appreciation, uh, appreciating us that we're considering them in, in, uh, in the later date. While we're talking about uh, Queen's Plate, I suppose we should touch on Moira. What's the, the, the latest news from her? We have the Prince of Wales' stakes drawn for um, tomorrow, Tuesday, September 13th at, at Fort Erie. Her name not among the entries in that one. Any Anything you can share that you've heard about what plans might be for her? No, I, there's, there's, it's been quiet the last, uh, I'll say, 10 days or so. I did speak to Donato Lanny and, and, uh, and I, I know their options. Uh, they were, they were looking at the cotillion, uh, at, at, uh, at parks. Um, I, I think there's, I, I won't say there's a concern, but I, 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 reading between the lines, one of the issues is whether they want to try on the dirt at this stage, uh, moving, you know, moving off the, the tapita. Um, I, I think they feel comfortable that she'll run well on the turf. So they're, they're looking at Keeneland in the uh, first week of October. Uh, and they're also looking at the EP Taylor uh, at a mile and a quarter on the turf at Woodbine the first week of October. Not sure what they'll do. The EP Taylor uh, is, is, you know, three-year-old fillies and mares. So whether they're interested at this time on taking taking on the older mares it may have a lot to do whether with whether another plane load arise from from overseas as to whether they want to stay here or not because we usually do a pretty good job of of attracting the the euro fillies for the uh, for that ep taylor so we'll see i i think those are their choices but uh I uh, I haven't uh, talked to Donato or or Kevin Attard about it in in a couple of weeks now, and I know those were the three choices that they were mulling over. I think the Queen Elizabeth is, if if I'm not uh, incorrect, at, at at Keeneland the the first week of October. So those are they want to try uh, a Group One, and um, I I think they've got a tough decision. That's for sure. It makes sense though to have such ambitious targets when you've got. A filly that looks so special, and and not just looks so special, is shown to be so special on the clock. So we'll we'll follow that story. We'll obviously be following the the, the future of the the Queen's Plate in terms of name and timing, and we're going to have a whole lot on this Woodbine Mile Week 
Matt Bernier and I will be covering the big races on Horse Player Happy Hour. Drew Cotney and I probably doing a whole uh, a show about the whole card later in the week or at least close to it. Uh, who knows? I, I may even pop up briefly on Woodbine the simulcast uh, feed. I'm heading up Wednesday and really looking forward to making my first trip to Woodbine since 2019. Hopefully we'll get to uh, hang out in person, Jim, though. I know you'll be running around a bit. I, listen, that would be great. I'll, I'll be excited to see you here, and it it should be a fantastic uh, day of racing. I mean, the the you know field sizes are so tough these days, Peter. And and you know, hats off to Julie Bell and our racing department for for bringing together a really nice. We haven't talked about all of them, and you'll be having a chance to talk about them this week. But there is it's shaping up to be a really nice field of of 12 for, for the mile. And there are a lot of quality horses in here. Uh, so uh, it, it should be a, a great race. And, you know, I, I'm, as I'm looking at all the names, I'm smiling and I wrote down modern games, of course, right at the top and boy, he's going to be tough, but uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a great race. I mean, Mark's horse and, in, in Wakanaka that, that Bill Mott's bringing up the Philly is she's tough too. She's been here, loves this course. And, uh, so it, it's it's going to be a, a star-studded field on Saturday for the mile, and, and you're going to have some fun this week talking about them all. I can't wait. Yeah, full coverage on the network. Jim, we'll see you up there. A star-studded field headed by Modern Games, but lots of other interesting options as well. He's going to earn it if he uh, gets the job done in the grade one Woodbine Mile and punches his uh, ticket to the Breeders' Cup Mile in the process. Jim, thank you so much for your time today and look forward to seeing you in person in a few days. We will definitely look forward to seeing you, and thank you for the coverage. We appreciate it. Play in the largest Breeders' Cup Betting Challenge qualifier of the year on Thursday, September 15th. This Thursday, the Big Ten BCBC Handicapping Contest at Canterbury Park. You can play online or through ExpressBet and TVG. $2,000 live bankroll, $1,000 entry fee for a total of $3,000 to play. 11 BCBC entries plus cash are going to be awarded 100% of entry fees returned. Once again, that's Thursday, September 15th. We're going to have a special show on the network. That'll drop on Tuesday. Uh, We've got Kevin Gorg and Howard Kravitz, who qualified for the BCBC out of this event last year, going to be joining us and going over the latter part of the card. For more information about the big night, visit CanterburyPark.com. And also, don't forget that uh, next weekend, the 17th and 18th, the nation's first and longest-running live bankroll handicapping contest, now in its 26th year, will be taking place. The Dog Days of Summer, on track only at Canterbury Park. Play to win an entry to the National Horse Players Championship. For more information, go to CanterburyPark.com. Next up on the show, we bring in a regular recapper. Not going to do the whole full drawn-out thing we've been doing for Saratoga, but there are a few races I want to get his thoughts on. You've been reading him all summer over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com. If you're smart and you like uh, trenchant observations about the sport of horse racing, you're following him on Twitter at N-T-A-M-M-1215. He's Nick Tamaro. Nick, how was your weekend? It was great, Pete. Good to be uh, here with you, doing a little recapping, ready to get things started. First draw at the Belmont and Aqueduct meet today, so the excitement never stops. Yes, we're going to be doing a whole little preview show on that meet, sponsored by our friends at Adelphi Racing. We've got Matt Vagvolgi lined up to do some stat stuff. Maybe it'll put you into, uh, into duty on that show as well to get some of your general thoughts about that meet. But we're here today to look back, not look forward where was most of your attention this weekend? We'll start wherever that was. 
I, I will admit that what little attention I paid to racing this weekend was on Kentucky Downs. Um, I, I realized middle of the week or so that they were in a bit of an iffy spot weather-wise, but I did take a look at the late races on uh, on Saturday and was interested in what could end up happening in some of those with some of the horses that ended up going. A little surprising that some of them ended up there. So that was the majority of my attention. I know there was a little weather on Friday at Delmar, but it looked like the racing ended up okay over the weekend as well. And so, yeah, it was a, a good kind of, I guess, transitional weekend for uh, off of Saratoga and now into some of the, the summer, late summer and early fall staples that we'll get coming up. I loved being at Kentucky Downs for the first time. I made my maiden voyage on Thursday, and I had to come back. You know, I'd just been away too long, needed to get a New York weekend in. And I guess with the way the weather played out, at least on, on Sunday, it, was, it wasn't maybe the worst uh, decision to not uh, to not be around. But I next year, I'm going to see if I can go, because that Saturday at Kentucky Downs just absolutely loaded in terms of stakes races and interesting performances. Let's start there. Maybe the Kentucky uh, Turf Cup, which was a win in your in race for the Breeders' Cup turf, that Red Knight ended up winning with a 96 buyer speed figure. Uh, Gufo, the sort of surprise entrant I think you were referring to, certainly ran well, beating just a nose in that spot. What did you make of this race, and what do you think we want to be looking at out of this race in terms of the form going forward? Yeah, you know, Pete, I was surprised to see him in the entries for this race because in the aftermath of the Sword Dancer, you kind of saw the connections a little noncommittal about whether he'd run again before the Breeders' Cup. And and trainer Christophe Clement said pretty plainly that he was probably going to run in the Joe Hirsch Turf Classic at Aqueduct, if anything. And I think the one of the things that I guess was a little bit lost, and, and maybe I'm just not right about it, but I think Gufo's a better horse around three turns. Um, I also don't think Gufo is a particularly good horse. I think he's fine. I think he's decent. Um, I, I've got a I've got a, a hot take that I'll get to when we are done recapping the race. But um, Red Knight was a horse that had campaigned for Bill Mott for a couple of years and had really done some good things, especially at marathon distances. And then, you know, unbeknownst to me, he was transferred to Mike Maker and he won the Colonial Turf Cup. And obviously, if you have a, a true distance horse that wants to go long on the turf, and you give them to Mike Maker, that's about exactly where they belong. And and so Red Knight now has run two vastly improved races. Is he a Breeders' Cup horse? You know, probably not. He's probably more of a Red Smith kind of horse. But uh, I thought he took the worst of it trip-wise. The inside was the place to be throughout uh, Saturday's card. He was never inside. But you also knew when they kind of got to that dip around the turn that he was loaded. I mean, Gerardo Corrales was, was, just hadn't moved a muscle Gufo had gotten to a little bit more of a ground-saving point by then. He never really got to the rail, but he also didn't give up much ground. And Red Knight just beat him on the square. I mean, he, he held him off. He did so in very game fashion. It's obviously been a tremendous meet for Mike Maker. No surprise that his horses continue to run. Disappointment in the race was Arklo. But, you know, Gufo ran. I, I think Gufo ran his race. Again, I think he's better around three turns. I know he tried to go inside of Red Knight at one point, had to angle back out. He did bump with another mystery late in the race, but there was no reason for him to not catch Red Knight. Red Knight just outgamed him a little bit to the wire. So uh, Gufo is a horse who will probably take enough money to go some of the way towards killing the takeout in the Breeders' Cup turf. Uh, if this horse is less than 10 to 1, he, I, I, don't, I don't care if they send over roughly no one from Europe that, that looks like they have much of a chance. Um, he is not a horse that can win the Breeders' Cup turf, in my opinion, and neither is Red Knight, but um, it was Red Knight's day. 
I'll quibble with only one thing that you say. I mean, I don't think it's fair to say that Kufo isn't a good horse. I think he's a good horse, but I would agree that he is not my idea of a great horse. And you just look at his body of work and his figures, and I agree, it's hard to see him winning anything but a very subpar edition of a race like the Breeders' Cup turf. I thought it was interesting that they turned up here, and I, you know, in retrospect, especially losing just a nose, I, probably a chance worth taking if this is a horse who thrives on his racing and now has another opportunity to, uh, I imagine they'll just train up to the to the turf from here, but who knows? I mean, if he, if he, if he bounces back as well out of this as he did from the sword dancer, there's still some other valuable prizes to come, but do you take my point? I mean, a little harsh on Gufo, no? Yeah, no, I didn't mean to characterize him as not a good horse. He's a good horse, a multiple grade one winner who's done some good things on the racetrack. I will say that if an American wins the Breeders' Cup turf, I've got a name for you. Warlike Goddess. Warlike <laughs> Goddess is the best distance turf horse in America right now. It, it's hard to argue. And I like this idea of maybe getting a wild price on her. I probably won't be. But if enough flashy Europeans show up, if there's something interesting that happens in some of these distance turf preps and money gets drawn away, I think there's a chance we could see a bigger than should be price on her. And man, she's been on, and to my view, been very unlucky in some big spots and is a, just incredible a quality and a horse that I could see stacking up with the right trip against uh, some of the best turfers in the world in a race like the Breeders' Cup turf. Where shall we go next? Yeah, I mean, one last thing on Warlike Goddess I would say is that I don't want anybody to misconstrue what I'm saying. I mean, if anybody of any real quality comes over for this for the Breeders' Cup turf, they're going to be very, very difficult to beat. And, and the Europeans have obviously done very well in two prior editions of the Breeders' Cup at Keeneland. Um, so that's I think that's a, enough of a wrap on the Kentucky Turf Cup. The FanDuel Turf Sprint was the ninth. It was the other win in your in race for the Breeders' Cup Challenge Series. A million dollars as well there. And... Um, that was a race that was won right right on the wire by Bran, and uh, I was a little surprised by that result. I, I will say that in my own wagering, I used the 12 and 13 in this race in my pick fives, and I played a, a one by two by three by one by one pick five that if, if Artemis City Limits had held on, I would have been alive to big invasion for somewhere around probably sixty to $70,000 which we're not going to talk about that race, but I'm glad he lost. So I, like, <laughs> um, I played a ticket for $10. That was like, it was, you know, it was very, very simple. Single Campanelli. We'll talk about her in a little bit. But anyway, the Arrest Me Red was a big favorite in this race, and uh, he was a horse that was expected to win. He really took the worst of it in terms of trip, and he probably did, him, he probably did his backers a favor because I think they're going to come off of him a little bit as far as the Breeders' Cup turf sprint goes. That being said, I don't know if he can beat uh, Golden Pal in Kentucky. You know, Golden. I think Golden Pal in Kentucky is a different horse than he is anywhere else. Brand was a really game winner. This was a tremendous ride uh, by Vincent Cheminot, who saved some ground along the way. Again, it was really beneficial to be inside. And he was about a path off the rail around the turn. Artemis City Limits, who, again, I used only because I thought he was the main speed. He's a horse that had been kind of gutless throughout his career, but all of a sudden had found his form. And I was hoping that Tyler Gaffleone would do exactly what he did, which was go to the lead and, and try and bottom them out. Looked as if he might actually do that at one point. So, you know, I don't know if there's much to take out of it as far as the Breeders' Cup goes. It will be interesting to see where... Some of these horses, especially a horse like Bran, who's probably really more geared to, towards six to seven furlongs if he ends up going 
in the Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint at only five and a half. He'd obviously have to get his engine cranked quite a bit earlier, but, um, you know, he's a worthy winner given the, the ride and trip. You know, what this made me think about is uh, Gregorian Chant, who scratched from here. One of the reasons why I didn't really fall on Bran or take Bran all that seriously in the handicapping of the race was uh, I just figured Gregorian Chant was going to be a better version of Bran. Now, I know you make some good points about uh, Chemino and the great ride and being aided by the course, but it does make me wonder about um, Gregorian Chant when he turns up next, how good he might be. We definitely had some good wise guy cases made for him ahead of the race on the show. How good do you think Gregorian Chant is in general? And is he one you're going to have your eye on going forward? Yeah, I mean, I've, I probably have held against him a little too much that he disappointed in what I thought was his biggest objective of 2021. With that said, I thought that he ran a very, very sneaky good race at Belmont um, when he was in the uh, in, in the race on Belmont Day. Um, yes. And so I, I, I'm very interested in, in him wherever he resurfaces. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that you wanted to be inside um, and he was outside the entire way. He came back and ran fine in the wicker. He's not a miler. So yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued by him. I'd like to see where he turns up next. He's also kind of taken the worst of it a couple of times, Pete, because he was inside at Churchill on Oaks Day. So right. he is he is very much a wise guy type. And I'm wondering if maybe uh, Phil D'Amato is going to reroute him to a race like the uh, Woodford at Keeneland on uh, on Fall Stars weekend, where he'll probably catch Golden Pal. Although there's discussion of Golden Pal running on the dirt, which uh, maybe the embarrassment of riches that Wesley Ward has in the turf sprint division is going to prompt them to do so. There's probably quite a few connections looking forward to to him trying the dirt if if so. Uh, yeah, I don't fully get that one. I, I, I guess just it's uh, they're thinking of fully. Yeah, I don't get it at all. <laughs> <laughs> Future value, I guess. Yeah. I, I don't. I, but... Yeah, I guess. Right. I guess he's he's got a fixed value as a turf sprint sire, but um, if he wins on the dirt, he's worth exponentially more, even if it's a great great two like the Phoenix. Yeah, and it's it's also like yeah, but the breeding industry they're so prejudiced against um older horse graded stakes, but still, I guess showing that you could run on dirt would mean would mean something. But yeah, I agree with you about the Gregorian Chant trips in the last few races especially in the in the jiper that wasn't it was just an impossible spot that's an interesting horse wherever he, he turns up i'm sure i'll want him in the mix it's somewhere um unless it's something truly surprising and, and changing let's talk campanelli for a minute while we're talking about uh, uh some west ward runners as well i just i'm just the biggest fan of hers and uh, yeah she justified short odds the other day um, what do you think about her going forward for the, for, for the Breeders' Cup? I thought she ran really well to overcome the track profile. Baystorm really uh, hugged the rail the whole way. Campanelli lost some ground. She's a good horse. You know, if there was a, <clears throat> if there was a Breeders' Cup turf sprint distaff, I think she'd be a pretty heavy favorite and deservedly so. I don't know if she'll quite stack up against the males, but look, I mean, Wesley Ward will kind of let us know what he thinks on that. If she ends up running there... Golden Pal ends up on the dirt somehow, then then that'll be in part because I think they're trying to let everybody know that they think Campanelli is worthy of a of a shot against the males. It was, uh, I think her final time stacked up pretty favorably. I think she went 114.57. Um, the other one was only six. They probably would have gone a little bit faster than that, but it is uphill. So yeah, I thought she performed well. I have no, no real argument. I think undoubtedly if she was to face better competition, she'd have to elevate her game a bit, but she is a horse that seems to fire every time and seems to fire pretty well. 
I think you make a good point about her overcoming the profile, though, and, and, and that being a reason to like this effort more than just the bare form suggests. She got a 98 on the buyer speed figure scale as opposed to Brand's 101 uh, in terms of those comparisons. I want to get you talking a little bit about what we saw out at Del Mar over the weekend, and maybe we'll start with the horse who I think you could safely say would be the future book favorite if there was such a thing for next year's Kentucky Derby. Uh, Cave Rock, who was so impressive on debut, backed that up and just blitzed the field in the Del Mar Futurity. Another one who ran a 98 on the buyer speed figure scale. Pretty impressive, heady stuff for a September two-year-old. Were you as impressed as I was with Cave Rock? Yeah, I definitely was impressed. It was a, it was a particularly strong effort. I thought the only issue, of course, with his long-term favoritism for the breeder for the uh, Kentucky Derby would be his trainer's inability at the moment to enter a horse in the race. Totally um, fair. That, of course, does not yeah does not disqualify him from ending up in, in different hands, as we saw happen. And look, this horse seems really good, and it's nice to see Arrogate, of course, the the, the late Arrogate, um, having some really good winners as his horses get a little bit. I suppose not necessarily his horses get more mature, but as time goes by, it really makes you wonder how good he may have been in his, you know, third, fourth, fifth crops, um, which we're unfortunately not going to get to see. But yeah, this horse is very good. You know, the only the only knock, of course, is that um, I don't think that what was behind him was particularly much. I think his other his stable mate was probably the next best horse. And you wonder a tad how much a horse that's just going out and winning races in wire-to-wire fashion, how good they really are. But, I mean, what we've seen of him right now, he's very, very good. So I would say uh, he's a, he's right now the leader in the clubhouse for the uh, Breeders' Cup uh, Juvenile. And if we see him again in uh, the race, I think the American Pharaoh, then, uh, you know, he will, he'd be a heavy favorite in there. We'll see if Bob Baffert ends up running him one more time. But no doubt he is very, very good. And uh, wherever he surfaces, he'll be he'll deserve a lot of attention. I thought Skinner's effort was worth calling out. This was a horse who just had the one run heading into this and had a very, very bad trip, but didn't do really too much in the way of running. I mean, I guess he stuck on okay at the end against having a meltdown who ended up being second in the futurity. But I thought this effort was worth calling out in a race had he not participated, had Skinner not participated, it would have been the one, two, three early or the one, two, three late. And meanwhile, this maiden comes from far back. He was well, well beaten. You know, he was uh, four lengths beat behind having a meltdown in second. But especially given the hands he's in, John Sheriffs feels like a horse, you know, probably not for the Breeders' Cup um, juvenile. I'm, I'm guessing that might be too much too soon, but a horse who might have some valuable prizes uh, in in order if he continues to to develop. Did you like Skinner's effort at all? Or am I making too much of it? No, I think he deserves some attention. Kim comes out of the, of course, a live maiden race, and this is a horse not built to go five eighths or probably even seven eighths for that matter. So yeah, I think he's a he's more of a long range prospect and deserves some a little modicum of, of attention for that reason. Yeah, and we'll see. I mean, who knows if you end up in a Breeders' Cup Juvenile where it's tons of tons of great speed and I, I mean maybe interesting as a long shot closer at least to make the frame out there i don't want to dismiss his chances i also just didn't want to go overboard in a horse that was beaten by 10 lengths but i just thought it was uh, at, at least worthy of talking about for another minute um where else should we talk at uh, del mar we can go to the phillies race or if something else caught your eye we can we can go there instead 
Yeah, I thought the debutante not only was a, a pretty pretty terrific finish, but uh, it was another grade one for Arrogate. Of course, this one came first over the weekend before the uh, Cave Rock win on Sunday. And tell me no lies for Peter Miller up just in time to win her second straight race. And this was a this is an interesting pedigree. She is out of Be Fair, who was a graded stake winner for Dwayne Lucas for West Rock Stables back about 10, 12 years ago. And um, interestingly, Be Fair's final career start was a seventh place finish behind Absinthe Minded, who, of course, is the dam of Secret Oath, uh, right. which has the Dwayne Lucas stamp all over it. But <laughs> yeah, and Tell Me No Lies looks like a horse that really should benefit from more ground. She improved significantly from her debut to her second start. She ended up running down the uh, highly regarded favorite home cooking for Bob Baffert, who had broken her maiden at second asking after running in that uh, race with Justique. Um, Justique has not resurfaced since then, but there's definitely been plenty of discussion about her on social media. Maybe we'll get her around two turns at Santa Anita. So I thought it was a, you know, it was an interesting effort by uh, and tell me no lies, who is probably a bit of a, an annoying horse to call from a track announcer's <laughs> perspective, but, um, but is a horse with some ability. I, it's the kind of thing where cold, I would absolutely have read it and tell me no lease. So it- with the, just on the just on the spelling, thinking of things that are that are tricky for racing commentator types. Um, the problem with this race, of course, Nick, is it, it as we've seen in several of these Southern California juvenile Philly preps over the last few years, it's just come back real slow. The buyer speed figure here just seventy one. You know, the good maidens at Saratoga, in theory, are supposed to be beating and tell me no lies and all the rest when they come back. Is is, is that unkind or is that the way you see it? Oh, no, those are facts. So yeah, I'm not going to dispute them. It was it was a slow race. They did kind of struggle home, and you know you want to give them a little bit of a break maybe once, um, but you know the other thing is that these horses were not stretching out by a particularly large margin. I mean, and tell me no lies had broken her maiden at six and a half. So if it was a mile and they went in the low seventies, I give them a little bit more leeway. But the fact that they went another sprint distance and didn't really move forward little bit of a red flag and i think we could be dealing with a, a situation where some of the better fillies at this point could be on the east coast there's no question the best colt by far is on the west coast <laughs> all right good stuff nick appreciate you coming on for a few minutes today and we'll be talking with you later in the week sounds great my friend appreciate it fixed odds betting powered by BetMakers, is back and in effect at monmouth park and the early returns are fantastic with 70 percent of winners paying more on fixed odds than they are on the tote Fixed Odds Wagering is now available throughout the state. This is an exciting new way to bet that really puts the power to get value in your hands because the odds you bet are the odds you get. You're going to be hearing more and more about Fixed Odds betting opportunities across the In The Money Media Network, and we're very happy to be partnering with our friends at BetMakers. Next up on the show, to review the win and your in-action from Irish Champions Weekend, I bring in a guy I'm proud to call a friend and a colleague. You heard him on the show last week previewing these races. Now he's here to review them from attheraces.com and sometimes Sky Sports Racing. He is Declan Ricks. What's up, Ricksy? Pete, how are you, sir? I'm good, and thank you. I, I, you know, you're on holiday, and you're still, you know, you're making it a busman's holiday. Coming on here to talk racing with me, you having some fun? Oh, absolutely, yeah. All as a man once said, all all's I know is horses in Ireland. <laughs> Fantastic. So I assume you were instead of uh, furiously working away during the press box for these uh, races on Irish Champions Weekend, you you were watching somewhere a little more fun, maybe. Yes, a little bit more fun than the press box, although the press box can be fun sometimes. Yeah, I was, given I'm on holidays, I was watching uh, both both days at, at Leopardstown and the Corra from the local pub. 
uh, which is which I would always highly recommend to listeners. You know, it's quite a fun way to watch. But uh, in terms of form analysis, probably you've, you've probably got to leave it uh, two or three days later until you come down again to get all that work done. <laughs> probably wise, but it's, I'm glad you've you've done the work. We'll talk about these races on their face, but obviously we're also looking with an eye towards what we might be seeing come Breeders' Cup time. And why don't we just go in uh, race card order starting from Saturday, which means we'll head back to the KPMG Champions Juvenile Stakes. The Group 2 won in impressive fashion, I thought, by Auguste Rodin. What did you think of this effort? Yeah, no, I, I thought he was very good, Pete. Uh, he, he looks a, a, a horse in progress to me. Uh, I think he stays very well. He, he could be a, a potential derby horse for the, the Bally Doyle team next year. Uh, as we touched on on the preview show, he's got a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful uh, pedigree by Deep Impact out of a Galileo Mayor Rhododendron, who was obviously second to Enable uh, in, in her Oaks. Uh, yeah, he's a nice horse, this Pete. He's, he's getting it together. I think he... He keeps a little bit up from up his sleeve as well, which I always like. You know that I think that tends to lead to longevity in these horses. So I like him. I don't think he's going to go to the Breeders' Cup. Aidan O'Brien said after the race, they're they're either looking at the Dewhurst, which is the 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 probably the the highest quality quality Group One juvenile race in Europe, or if he doesn't go there, he might stick to the mile um, and run in the Virtual Maturity Trophy over over eight furlongs, which is always live on Sky Sports Racing. So, yeah, I don't think the winner might go, but I think the runner-up could go. Uh, a horse called Caroline Street, trained by Joseph O'Brien, uh, which is obviously Aidan's son. Um, she took a big step forward here, which I which I which I'm impressed by. Uh, she travelled into it so well, very well. Travelled to me like a horse that have no problem going two bends around uh, an American track. Uh, she's by uh, No Name Ever as well, uh, trained by Joseph O'Brien, as I said. But she's part owned by a man called Michael Buckley, who, who hopefully your listeners remember, used to own Toast of New York. Uh, I think he went down as he second or third in yeah. uh, in he, one of those crazy. He, he should have been. Practice. He should have been the winner, Declan. If uh, yes, <laughs> I think this is a conversation we've had in Car Part Two with his trainer Jamie Osborne on more than one occasion. Yes, I remember I had to pass a test. I was asked by, by Mrs. Osborne, like, just regarding me with suspicion, what should have happened in the 2014 Breeders' Cup Classic? And I, and it was my genuine, I knew I was being tested, but it was my genuine answer anyway, that Bayern should have been chucked out for racking up half the field and Toast of New York should have been the winner. But <laughs> Yes, which, which I think, if I remember correctly, got you an invite to uh, five days of Car Park 2 with Jamie Osborne. So a good answer. Yes, we were the beneficiaries of that. But again, it was it was it was only an honest opinion. And you make a good point about, you know, for whatever that experience was for uh, Mr. Buckley, the, the fact that there's a willingness to come to North America. And I'll tell you what, there's even a clue in the way that this USA bread is named Declan Caroline Street being the. Uh, the, uh, the, the what's the right uh, way to put it? The, the Bourbon Street, I guess you could say, of Saratoga Springs. Lots of bars and merriment ah. out to late hours of the evening. So I like your theory that uh, the chief could be coming across. Yeah, yeah. So continuing the pub theme, which I always like. Yeah. Uh, and I think Michael Buckley, although here in in, um, in the UK and Ireland, he's predominantly known as a, a national hunt owner. He does have a couple of flat horses. So I think, you know, all those flat horses that he goes into, I, I, I think he likes to have a bit of fun, likes to travel. And I think he lives in the States as well. So it would be no surprise if we see Caroline Street turn up in the, the Philly, uh, the, the juvenile Phillies turf uh, at this year's Breeders' Cup. 
Very, very interesting. Any other notes from this one before we uh, we move along? Um, no, I wouldn't say so. I, I just think for, for the North American followers, uh, Augustin Roden, uh, he's definitely a horse to to keep to keep an eye out. You know, he could be a he could be a star classic uh, contender next year here in Europe. Let's talk about the Irish Champion Stakes, which was won by Luxembourg, um, turning over the favorite of uh, Dany, and also uh, with Mishraf taking place. We, I think you spoke positively of Luxembourg for sure when we previewed this race. How did you think of how it played out on the track? Yeah, I thought he, he did well. I thought the race fell a little bit kindly for him compared to maybe the likes of Vadini and Mishriff. Um, well, I don't, I, I shouldn't maybe say that. I should say a more positive look on it would be that Ryan Moore gave him the most efficient ride. I think Ryan Moore is a jockey who's been riding exceptionally well uh, here in Europe again this season. He's he's really at the top of his game. And look, again, he made no mistake here with, with Luxembourg. Um, I thought the favourite Vadini probably sat a little bit too far out of his ground. And Mishriff, again, I thought definitely for a horse as versatile as him tactics-wise and as straightforward as him, he definitely sat too far out of his ground. But the horse for me to take from the race was probably the runner-up, uh, Onesto, a son of Frankel, trained in France. Um, look, jockey bashing or whatever term you want to put onto it, uh, you know, I'm not a fan of it. You've got to be, you've got to be objective about all these things. But I, I do think Stefan Pasquier has been given this horse a lot to do in a couple of races this season. We saw it in the French Derby, the Prix de Jockey Club, and I think we saw it again here on Saturday. I think, given how inefficiently this horse ran, kind of in the opening, maybe half mile, opening six furlongs of the race, I thought he was, maybe you could argue, the moral winner of the race. Uh, especially as he was running on the softest ground he's encountered for a little while. Uh, so he's a horse that looks like either going to go to the Ark or he's going to go to the Champion Stakes. The winner, Luxembourg, we may see him at, at the Breeders' Cup, but it sounds like the next uh, agenda for him is definitely going to be the Ark. Vidini, the third horse, trained again in France. He's not going to go to the Breeders' Cup, I don't think. He's not going to go to the Ark. If he does run again this season, Pete, it sounds like he's going to go to British Champions Day and run in the Champion Stakes. But some good news. Mishriff, we, we spoke about him being nailed on for the Breeders' Cup, all being well um, going into this race. Uh, all reports coming out of the race are John and Thady Gosden and the owners. They still want to go to the Breeders' Cup uh, if, if everything is okay with them. That's great to hear. And we were speaking with Nick Locke also, who I, I think had sort of changed his view about which race Mishriff was going to go in. When I'd spoken to him a while back, he seemed to think that the classic might be in the cards. After the flight line tour de force, it feels like the wind is blowing more in the direction of the turf. Um, still seemed to think that there was maybe a little bit of an open question. You seem much more confident that the turf will be Mishriff's uh, Breeders' from Cup. What for, yes, from what I've heard, he's gonna, he will get an entry in the classic as well. But the racing manager for the owner, Prince Faisal, has said he's more likely to go for, um, he's going to go for the turf. And look, you know, flight line, I, I think if maybe if this was the Mishriff in the same kind of form as last year, maybe the classic maybe would sit a little bit higher up the pecking order. But I, I just don't think he's in the same form this year. And, you know, going American dirt is a different ball game to the dirt surfaces he's been encountering in the Middle East. Um yeah, I think the Breeders' Cup turf is a better fit for him. But at the same time, the classic trip is probably a better fit for him. He's he's definitely a 10 furlong horse. So while he might go for the Breeders' Cup turf, um, he's probably a European horse I'm willing to take on, even, uh, especially if, if the ground conditions are again soft. 
for me, this guy wants to get back on a firmer surface. And when you take that into account, after all the rain we saw in Ireland over the last couple of weeks, I, I thought he ran a, a very good race. Because again, I don't want to go bashing jockeys, but I thought Colin Keane gave him far too much to do. Under the circumstances, if you want to consider a, a, a race as, as good as the Irish Champion Stakes as a trial, I thought it was a perfectly good trial to team up for a Breeders' Cup run. Let's talk about Stone Age and Broom, both runners who've plied their trade on this side of the Atlantic before. Do you have any notes on either of their runs, and what do you think the likelihood is that they'll find their way back this way across the pond? Yeah, I don't think there was much spoken about them in the, the post-race debrief, obviously from um, a Ballydoyle Coolmore point of view, obviously because Luxembourg won the race and he took all the spotlight. But but this, for the first time in his career, I was actually impressed by Stone Age here. Uh, and I could see him running well in, in a Breeders' Cup turf, especially if he gets back on some quicker ground. Now, look, he was only beaten two, two and three quarter lengths in the end. There is a possibility that he is a touch, maybe two or three lengths flattered by that run, because I do think he had the, the complete run of the race of some good fractions from Shamey Heffernan. Uh, but look, I've always thought he's better on a faster surface, and I think this is probably a career best for him. Um, I think it's fair to say the standard of European turf horse are probably a little bit better than the, than those in North America. Um, he's owned in partnership with Peter Brandt, I understand. Uh, so I could see him turning up to the Breeders' Cup uh, turf. On the other hand, Broom, Broom started his season very well. He obviously won at Royal Ascot this year, the Hardwick Stakes, but his form since that run has dipped. So I don't know. He's a tough customer usually. He usually always gives his running but out of all those Ballydoyle horses from the race, I, in terms of looking at a Breeders' Cup turf, I think Stone Edge is the, is the one to look at. Let's move on to the Coolmore America Justify Matron Stakes Group 1 action for fillies and mares. A horse who's competed in North America gets the job done in the form of pearls galore, but here at a big price. Yeah, exactly. And and maybe we were a little bit unkind in maybe not mentioning her in, in the preview earlier in the week. We kind of teed it up, uh, or I teed it up. I'm going to take sole responsibility for this one, Pete. <laughs> we teed it up as a two-horse race in some ways between Homeless Songs and Saffron Beach. And you'd think we'd know by now. There's no such thing as a two-horse race in this game. Um, but look, I suppose that the main thing was coming out with the race. I think Homeless Songs clearly did not perform to the level that she did when she won the Irish uh, 1,000 guineas earlier in the season. I think Saffron Beach, as we maybe pointed at going into the race, wouldn't be as good on the soft ground. I think that transpired here. But look, we've got to give major props to the winner, Pearls Galore. Um, she was sporting first-time cheek pieces. Billy Lee uh, is a rider the North American fan base probably don't know a lot about, but he's a quality rider. Uh, and his trainer as well, Peter... Uh, is it uh, Tumi Bat? I keep mixing up his first name. Uh, I keep calling him Peter Toomey. Yeah. Let's call him Mr. Toomey for the time <laughs> being. Uh, Mr. Toomey is another trainer, another name that your North American fans need to keep an eye on. Uh, and look, if this this filly, if she goes to the Breeders' Cup, which I think she will, uh, if Keeneland get a proper, proper monsoon like they can do at this time of year, she is a big, big, big player wherever she goes. Um, she's good. She's got good gate speed. She's got good early pace. She ran a cracker in last year's um, uh, Breeders' Cup mile behind Space Blues at Delmar on a fir- surface that would have been far, far too quick for her. If we get the monsoon season your side of the way, Pete, this <laughs> Billy is a big, big player. All right, that's great. And you would think, based on the fact that they tried at Del Mar, Keeneland, in theory, should have much more cut in the ground. What are you thinking is next for Saffron Beach and Homeless Songs? Well, uh, by the sounds of things, pre-race, the, the, 
from from the respective trainers both wanted to go to the Breeders Cup and I don't I don't see any reason why they won't go um you can I'm not a hundred percent sure if whether they'll go in the mile or the Phillies rate the, the Phillies and mares is over an extended trip isn't it is it is it nine for an extended nine furlongs it is this year it's a mile and three sixteenths sometimes okay. it's longer than that so it does suit you would think most milers from over there would be certainly capable of getting the two-turn mile and three-sixteenths they're going to be seeing here. Yeah. Well, well, I think if that's the case, Pete, that the winner, Pearls Galore, I think has got the options of going in the mile uh, or staying in her own sex because the, the distaff side of her pedigree, although she's by Invincible Spirit, who'd be a, a speed influence, there's a lot of stamina on the, the distaff side of her pedigree. So I think she's got options. I could see with her possibly this if it was really really soft ground she could maybe go to the mile and if it was slightly better ground she might stick to her own sex but i think from the backwash from this race i all being well uh the, your north american fans can hopefully see pearls galore saffron breach maybe tenebrism who was third and homeless songs this is a good race to keep uh, to do your form study for heading into this year's breeders cup do you figure that we'll see Saffron Beach or Homeless Songs before? You know, it, it's still, for a European runner this time of year, you know, they could potentially run once, maybe even twice before the Breeders' Cup. What kind of plans have been put forth for, for any of those top four? I don't think anything has been said uh, particularly on on that. Uh, Saffron Beach did, did start her season very early out in Dubai. So, um, you know, although she's had breaks in between, you know, I think if those fillies, um, our neck of the woods, are starting in Dubai, that probably means they're in serious work come, you know, December in, into January. So that's a long season. I could see Saffron Beach going straight there. Home to songs, maybe Dermot Weld could take in a, a race for her. But the reading in between the lines with her, she's a little hard to keep right. Uh, so I could see her going there straight uh, off, um, off this. I think, it, what is it? It's going to be about a 57-day break. Uh, but look... Um, Plans are a little bit fluid in that regard. If I get anything, hear anything, of course, we'll update you. Love that. Let's talk about the Cara on Sunday, starting with the Dubai Flying Five Stakes Group One action. Highfield Princess lives up to the billing in what was certainly visually, uh, for me, uh, the performance of the weekend. I was blown away by the what we saw from her. Yeah, I think plenty of people agree with you. We were quite spoiled over Irish Champions Weekend. There there were maybe a handful of uh, genuinely top-class performances in terms of visuals only, kind of leaving out the numbers and the, uh, and speed figures or whatnot. You know, Highfield Princess certainly did, um, did, did maybe take the top spot. It was interesting, Jason Hart, our jockey, came in uh, and said, you know, it's very, very rare you get to take a pull one and a half out in a group one sprint anywhere in the world. <laughs> so that will just go to show you the level that uh, this, this this filly has. I would, though, potentially maybe pour some... By the way, she's definitely going to the Breeders' Cup as well. She's going to go straight there. Uh, she's not going to go to the foray on uh, Pre-Delacta Triumph weekend. Her trainer, John Quinn, said immediately after the race, uh, she's going straight to the Breeders' Cup. So this is a good filly you guys are going to see stateside. Um, potentially, maybe, to, if I, with my form analysis hat on, I don't think our sprinters here in the UK and in and Europe in general are that good this season, Pete. Uh, the horse that she beat, uh, Errols and Psyche, trained by uh, Paddy Toomey, 
the same man who, who trained the, the winner of the matron, his horse was only rated 103 going into the race, a progressive sort, but you know, she hasn't, she, Golden Pal will easily be a, a better horse that she's taken on. And the other thing with her, Pete, while she does have good form around the bend earlier in her career, all her recent racing in Europe has been on straight tracks and some of them very stiff tracks like Ascot and like the Curragh. Interesting. So maybe not one to get overly excited about at a, at a short price from the yeah. objective form study point of view, but certainly going to be one of the fun international storylines we'll be following at the No, at the absolutely. Breeders. And I can just see looking at the early uh, anti-post prices here from our bookmaker friends this side of the water. She, at, at this time, is the current two-to-one favourite uh, generally with our bookmakers, with Golden Pal as big as four-to-one this side. I, I think basically... This race could be decided by conditions, Pete. You know, if it comes up rattling quick around there, I think it's going to favour Golden Pal going around that bend. If it came up very soft, I think that probably get, plays against the speed strengths of Golden Pal, and that brings the stamina of Highland high, uh, Highfield Princess into the race. But I'd like to end on a positive with her. Her story is incredible. She's she was being beaten in races here in the UK off lowly marks in the fifties not too long ago. And now she's rated as high as 120, which is a genuine top class uh, figure this side. Uh, her story is unbelievable and I think she's one that you guys in the States will latch on to. Great. I can't wait to to follow all that coverage. I'll chime in one thing about the reason for the, the, you know, it sounds on its face like that's way too big a difference in price between those two. But it may be factored into that is the idea that there have been rumors. And Nick Tamaro mentioned this earlier in the show, hard as they are to believe in some ways, that Golden Powell may have a dirt test somewhere along the line. So, oh, so wow. that. Yeah, so that could be part of the reason why we're seeing as much difference in those numbers. Golden Pal, certainly not terribly impressive the last day. Uh, grimly hanging on for victory, but a big bounce back in uh, Kentucky would be no surprise for that one. Definitely the, it could be a great showdown. I hope they both turn up in this year's Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint. One more race to chat about, my friend. It is the Moyglare Stud Stakes Group 1 win in your in-action for Phillies. And uh, Meditate went to post as the even money favorite, but it was uh, Tahiria who gets the job done at 100 to 30. What did you think of this one? Yeah, the, the, these are two good fillies now, Pete, going forward. They, they were four and a half lengths clear of the third horse, um, Eternal Silence. Um, Meditate is a horse that went into the race unbeaten in four runs, including a Royal Ascot win. Some of her form has been franked already. Um, like we touched on pre-race she's by no name ever and she's out of a darling canny mare i do think even though no name ever he's got that american pedigree and he, he was a good horse on fast ground it is good to see from especially from a european perspective a lot of his progeny do handle cutting the ground and darling canny as well on the dam side he's a um a horse who can also um give his progeny the good ability to handle a soft surface but i do think he's no name ever stamped their uh, he does stamp his stock particularly well in terms of speed. And I just think all the rain that they had in Ireland over the last couple of weeks turned this year's Moyglare into more of a stamina test, which favoured uh, the, the Dermot Wells filly that won at Tahira. Um, just, I haven't done my own numbers on the race yet, but literally just before we came on, on, on live here, I think Timeform have rated her the fourth best juvenile all sexes so far in Europe this season. Um, she's by Sayuni. She's out of a mare called Tarna, uh, uh, Tarana, which makes her a half-sister to Breeders' Cup turf winner Tarnawa. Excuse me as I get through the, those uh, <laughs> His Highness Aga Khan tongue twisters for your <laughs> listeners. 
But basically, she's unbeaten in two starts. On her second run, she beat a top-class filly in a group one. She's got the pedigree to match, match it. She's trained by a master trainer. Um, this is a very good race, but I'm not too sure if we're going to see uh, the winner at the Breeders' Cup. Dermot Wells said after the race, his gut feeling was that she'd be finished for the season and would be trained for a classic campaign here in Europe next year. Okay, well, that's fair enough. Maybe Breeders' Cup in, in the future, though, given the familial success over here, even if it's not this season. Never-ending story is a horse I just wanted to put forth as one who had the profile of a runner who sometimes will come and contest Breeders' Cup juvenile turf races. And I, I thought you could make a case, and I'm, I'm sort of stealing a point made by our uh, friend and in the money media colleague michael adolfson here on on twitter that it wasn't the easiest run through for never ending story what did, what did you think of her am i perhaps overrating her to think she could be of a class to take down a breeders cup juvenile philly turf um I, on what we know so far potentially would be a little bit disappointing i'm sure uh chad brown and the likes of those good american turf trainers have, have hopefully got a couple of du- juvenile fillies that will you know will go off a lot shorter price than her i suppose look she's got she's got a good pedigree she's bought out of athena and um she, she's uh, another she's a dubawi um but pete i suppose at the end of the day she was beaten just under nine lengths that's a long long way in a flat race i, I think if this really turned up in the breeders cup juvenile turf and won and what we've known so far, I think it would be disappointing, even considering um, the point that Michael made about her run through. What did you think about anything else in this field, either to come over to the States or something that you might be interested in down the line? Uh, nothing really stood out. The, the two class acts came to the fore. As we said, the winner's, not gonna, the winner's done for the season. Uh, and meditate. Maybe she could go. Maybe she could go. You know, I think if, if, if they got back on some quicker ground, two turns there, that, that would allow her to get home a little bit. And to be fair, look, this was a proper soft ground, seven furlong race, run, uh, run in a good time. So stamina was was tested here. You know, back on a firmer surface, two bends around Keeneland, she could maybe get home. So hold, hold your horses here. I think maybe Meditate could go, but as... Because the winner was so good after the race, Pete, all the storylines were about her. Yeah, makes sense. Declan, appreciate you coming on here. We'll be bothering you again soon. Enjoy the rest of your holiday and uh, look forward to getting the chance to hang out. Cheers, Pete. Thanks for having me. Next up on the show, familiar voice, familiar guest. Had the pleasure of spending lots of time at Saratoga, though not enough. It's never enough with her as well (laughs) this year. One of the things we do when Saratoga ends to stave off the the sad feelings is start looking ahead to the next fun thing. So we will a little bit later look a little bit back to Saratoga, but we're going to start today's conversation looking forward to the Breeders' Cup and some exciting opportunities that are coming up for listeners and supporters of the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. From the TRF, we bring in the first lady of the In the Money Players podcast. She is Kim Weir. Kim, how are things? Are you glad we've all left town? No, it is it is bittersweet, but good morning, Pete. This Monday is much easier than last Monday, let me tell you. You know, it's um, I went over to the track this morning and sat under the tree at the morning line and watched the horses on the main track and drank my coffee and, and it felt it felt good and I did have the place to myself, which you know, it's not such a bad gig. <laughs> Um, but it's nice to be entering, you know, week two of September. We can we can be grateful that it happened, not sad, you know, sad that it's over, and right. look look ahead to the fall. It's a fun time of year. 
And there's some very fun stuff and some fun opportunities specifically for people regarding the Breeders' Cup and the TRF, two things in particular we want to talk about. But I think we should start with this auction that's going to be opening very soon. You know, one thing about the Breeders' Cup in Lexington that isn't great is certainly compared to Southern California, um, not as many options to, to stay, and it can be a little bit tricky. And you've got something cooking that could really uh, help somebody out who's planning on making the trip in a couple of months who hasn't quite gotten all the uh, T's cross and dies odded, uh, dies odded, eyes <laughs> dotted, as it were. It shows you where my brain is somewhere between uh, Nashville and uh, in, in Brooklyn. But anyway, tell folks about this auction opportunity. Well, we are we are thrilled to have this um, this very fun bundle of uh, horses and hospitality um, available to the community, the broad community of the in the money uh, universe, and um, it is a bundle of starting with the most important thing in the middle of it is three nights in a designated Breeders' Cup hotel uh, in Lexington, Kentucky, and that would be the nights checking in on the third and checking out on the sixth at the Lexington Griffin Gate Marriott uh, Golf Resort and Spa, which is a, a beautiful hotel. It's a big, beautiful hotel with a golf course and a pool and all kinds of amenities, a spa. It's got the whole works, but but it is a designated Breeders' Cup hotel. It is also a completely sold out Breeders' Cup hotel. And we have um, secured from them uh, some time ago, three nights in a standard room that um, we can now place into the universe uh, and auction this off as a fundraiser for the horses of the TRF. Um, so we are, that is our, the juicy thing we offer is a awesome. precious hotel room in Lexington. <laughs> there are really lots of other fun things we're going to throw in there, but that's, that's the hook. And I hope that gets someone out there's attention. <laughs> I, it, it really should. I, I did not, I've never stayed at the, the Griffin Gate Marriott, but I was uh, visiting some fancy friends when, uh, around Derby time, actually, who were staying there. And I was very impressed with um, just the, the the level of service, you could just tell you were dealing with a, a superior situation. And and this is it's also it's a pretty straight shot uh, out yep. to Keeneland from there, so it's very it's very convenient. Also a bit of a straight shot from downtown. I'm going to guess it's probably 15 minutes from downtown, 15 minutes from Keeneland. So a great place to stay and an excellent centerpiece of this package. Tell folks where they can go to make their bids and what time frame they have to start bidding and critically to stop bidding. Yeah, exactly. Well, we will place the button front and center on the um, the page, on, on Pete's page, on trfinc.org slash players. That will be the easiest place to find the, the button. The button will take you to eBay. We have our very own um, TRF eBay, and they, they know how to run that so that all, all bids are, are, are basically pledges of donations. So all of those dollars are going to go not anywhere else they're going to go straight to the trf so the button will be on your page that will probably be the easiest place to find it we'll probably put it on our events page too but um we'll open the door for bids at um 9 p.m eastern time on wednesday this week which is the 14th these things run for 10 days that's the the full the full time span of an ebay um fundraiser and so that means it will close with hopefully lots of hot and heavy action on the 24th of uh september the uh, Saturday the 24th at 9 p.m. Eastern time. So um, 
that's our time frame. You can look on the uh, Slash Players page. And I'd also want to mention that we we know that at the end of the day, the value is in this hotel room, which is impossible to get at this point. Um, but we also want to make this a, a fun experience. And for our friends who who may bid on this, we we also are hosting a party, which we'll talk about next, uh, you and I, Pete. But we have a, po- a party on the 4th at this same Griffin Gate Marriott for the friends of the TRF. So this package includes four tickets to that fun little gathering. It also includes a beautiful Breeders' Cup swag bag, which has already been shipped and is sitting in my living room on my kitchen table. It's gorgeous. TRF swag bag. And then last but not least, a private VIP tour to one of our two um, Kentucky farms, um, either the TRF Sanctuary Farm at Chestnut Hall, which is our, our, sh- our showcase pretty farm near Louisville, or um, you could even take us up on that offer that Pete and I love to talk about to go visit one of our TRF Second Chances programs right there at Blackburn Correctional Complex that Pete has visited. Um, so anyway, we will we will wrap you in TRF love if you bid <laughs> successfully on this bundle. <laughs> A lot Thank of good you. stuff. A lot of good stuff on offer there. You mentioned about the party. That's something that is going to be uh, open to the public if you, you purchase a ticket and will include um, some snacks and and uh, a drink, I believe, as well. Yeah. I know I'm planning on going and bringing some fun people and uh, having been to the TRF parties at other Breeders' Cups. It's usually good vibes and a good time. And again, uh, pretty pretty good location if you're coming from the track uh, and or somewhere you could go before dinner if you do have dinner plans downtown. There's also a restaurant right there at the at the Griffin Gate Marriott that I think still has availability. Tell folks where they can get their tickets to this. Absolutely. This, once again, will be prominently on the players page um, by the time this airs. And so you can just go to Pete's page. Always go to Pete's page, um, trfinc.org slash players. Um, the party is, on, it'll also be on our events tab on our website. And the party is on November 4th. So it's the Friday um, and it's 6.30 to 8.30 so that you can just roll on over, stop for a drink, um, either stay for the evening or head on to your dinner plans afterwards, 6.30 to 8.30. The cool thing is there's a there's a special building at the Griffin Gate called the Mansion, and it's sort of the very Kentucky-looking. I'm sure it has a lot of history I haven't learned yet, but it looks like, a, a, like an old Kentucky mansion, and that's actually where our party is. We've got the whole place to ourselves. It has an indoor bar. It has an outdoor patio. We're going to plan to have a little acoustic guitar. Um, and it's just a party. It's a, a hangout for the friends of the TRF. Um, and we would love to see folks there. Um, tickets will be $75 that covers the food that we were providing and then one free drink. And then after that, it's cash bar. So just super easy. And, and we know that when our, when we go to Breeders' Cup, our TRF friends like to gather and our herd likes to be together. So that's why we've set this up and we'd love for everyone listening to join us. It will have some limited capacity. So 75 folks is about our head count. So Buy fast if you're planning to join us. <laughs> Get your tickets today. I want to talk about this acoustic guitar. Is this you? Or are you going to be up there shredding, Kim? <laughs> you know, with all my copious free time, I've been taking guitar lessons. No, no, I would not inflict that on anyone. Although, in another life, I dream of being a bass guitar player. I have to tell you that. <laughs> That's funny because Perrin is interested in the bass now, too. She's taking guitar lessons but expressed interest in the bass. And I told her that was a real wise guy move because every kid, you know, who plays – an instrument seems to play guitar. And if you play bass, you'll, you'll be very needed for a band. And yes. she's expressed interest in joining a band. So you, oh, you and she that. can bond about your, your, your love of the bass at some point. Well, I'll live vicariously through her. Cause I'm, I'm guessing her, her, her nimble brain has much more ability to learn something like a instrument than I, mine ever was, but it's, that's always like the cool guy or gal 
out in the band. And I, I think I just strive for some measure of cool because I'm such a raving lunatic spaz all the time. <laughs> um, anyway, I do have uh, friends friends with guitar skills in Lexington, and I've got a couple asks out to um, them. So I do think that Jeff Walton was literally that calming influence for me at our barbecue. And that's why I feel like I need to have a guitar player now at all of my parties. I love to, like, it. He was great. Out. Oh, he's such a dear. He's so good. I love him. Let's talk about the barbecue for a minute while I have you, because I know you oh. know a lot of people supported the oh. silent auction from our uh, from our audience, and a lot yes. of people won things. And I just oh. I think it's always good to button this stuff up after it happens. Uh, was the event a success? Oh, it was a crashing, extraordinary, heartwarming, overwhelming success, Pete. And and you and the yeah the in the money the media community were so much a part of it, both in person and from afar, because uh, it is it's we we we. Someone, it sometimes maybe seems like we host lots of events, but at the end of the day, the TRF actually hosts one primary fundraiser a year. And, and, and that was it. That is it, our TRF barbecue at the barn. And so it is an all hands on deck. We, we exceeded all goals and we've doubled most of them. Um, I just want to speak to the silent auction in particular, because Pete, you were such a big part of that, helping us tell the world about these amazing experiences and uh, letting folks get a preview of those things. And we, we, we doubled our revenue from the year before with with essentially a, a, a similar, although upgraded list of items. But we just we clearly did what you and I had wanted to do, which is to tell people better about them. And um, a couple of the items were indeed um, won by um, proxy bidders. So you and I were not crazy to think that could work. Um, we engaged a couple very, um, uh, very uh Good. I don't know. It was like rule following. Very uh, 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 yeah. Rule following is my best word for our friends who took on the proxy bidder role because they 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 basically didn't do any bidding for themselves. They didn't eat dinner. They like sat there by the auction like they took it seriously. Our proxy bidders. <laughs> they were they were there. So anyway, I just cannot say enough about um, the the gifts that were given to us. Starting with you, Pete, with your awesome whiskey and handicapping uh, item and. Every individual who put their time in into offering themselves in our auction, I mean, that is the most valuable thing anyone has to offer. And we are so, so blessed with people who've done that. And then further blessed by folks who said, yeah, that sounds so cool. I want to go do the morning workouts with Ramon Dominguez and hear about his views of the horses. Um, so it really did work. And um, and I, I have to say, I had to do a, cl a little clarification that Fortunately, if you won the Ramon Dominguez morning workouts, you didn't actually have to work out with Ramon because <laughs> no one would be able to keep up with him. <laughs> That's hilarious. I could see that the way we phrased it. I could see that confusion. But yeah, yeah. You, don't, you, don't, you don't want to be doing sprints with him. Oh, no. And too no, competitive at that. No, no. <laughs> but, but besides all that, you know, you well know those who were there with us. I, I just can't say enough thanks as I you know look look out into that that uh, hailstorm, power outage, lightning strike, sideways rain situation that everyone showed up. You showed up, my friend. All so many folks got out of their cars after waiting it out for fifteen minutes in a monsoon, and they just came and they brought their their most joyful selves. It, it really was an extraordinary party in some ways better because of the weather, which is really hard to say when you saw how wet I was. <laughs> um, it was just amazing that folks just cared enough to keep coming and they came despite the weather and they might've given more because of it. It was definitely a bonding sort of uh, for sure. Yeah, for I like sure. to say. It wasn't just a party. It was an adventure. <laughs> <laughs> great stuff. I had an amazing night. Definitely great to see so many people from the ITM 
family in the house and a lot of lot of listeners and, and viewers as well. And the, the, the hits just keep on coming. There's more and more opportunities to not just support this amazing cause. And we didn't do much talking about the specifics of the cause in this visit because we've done that in so many others. And we encourage you to take a look back and find some of Kim's other visits and some of the deeper dives we've done specifically on the Second Chances program if you want to learn more. Because I know there are a lot of new people around here, Kim. So we, we'll yeah. encourage them to, to check out more about the mission. But it's a great one. And there's a lot of fun ways to support it starting well not starting with but next up being this auction for the hotel room breeders cup weekend that includes uh, uh admission to the event and lots of other uh, great stuff as well trf related and then uh, and then also the party which is i i, I hope should be a no-brainer for a lot of in the money people to just come by 75 bucks and and you get a chance to to uh, come and hang out with the with the herd, as as Kim likes to call our uh, our, our uh, motley and not so motley crew of people who are dedicated to this cause. To learn more, trfinc.org slash players and to get a link directly to the eBay auction for the hotel room and also to buy those tickets. I'm sure, Kim, knowing you, it'll be uh, all updated and ready to rock and roll a little bit later today. Exactly. Well, thank you, Pete. And I think the key is everyone wants to know where you're hanging out on the Friday night. And so with you, we've got a good party. You- <laughs> I don't know about that, but we'll we'll do our best. It's always fun. I mean, it's one of the great pleasures of my job is to, to meet people who appreciate what we do. I mean, Kentucky Downs, I have to say per capita, was like as much appreciation as I've, I've ever felt just walking through the, the, the stand there and just getting to see a lot of old friends, but also a lot of people who I'd never met who were just appreciating the content or, you know, showing me their phone that they had just listened to that day's podcast. I mean, that, that tickles me. Um, in, 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 and this is a great opportunity to, to meet people and get a chance to, to raise a glass and have some fun. So thanks for putting it all together, Kim. We will have you on the airwaves once again very soon. Thank you, Pete. Have a great day. That's going to do it for this edition of the show. We'd like to thank all of today's guests and remind you, we've got a lot more content coming up this week. Our friends at Adelphi Racing are going to be sponsoring a look at this Belmont at Aqueduct meeting that we've got coming up. That's coming later in the week. We've got a show on Canterbury as well. We'll also be covering closing day at Kentucky Downs on Wednesday. Kate and Bradar and Jessica Paquette are going to be joining me for that one. Should be a lot of fun. So we'll thank all those people. We'll thank our founding partners, Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation, also 10 Strike Racing. You know how around here we always like to root for the purple and black. Most of all, though, I want to thank all of you, the listeners, for making these shows so much fun to do. This show has been a production of In the Money Media. Our business manager is Drew Cotney. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. I'm Peter Thomas Fornatal. May you win all your photos. <laughs>